Let's doing episode 127. Ari talks with Evan Britton Bazone of Persist. Welcome to the Let's Doing podcast. Let's doing more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, it's Ari Mizell. Welcome to the Less Doing, More Living podcast. Nine years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a little-known, extremely painful, and seemingly incurable disease, which forced me to go down a long road a radical transformation so that I could reduce stress and win back a normal life for me and my family. While extremely painful, Crohn's was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to innovate and create the less doing more living system, which I used to govern my life. Then I was given the gift of starting to teach this system to other people. And over time, I was able to help more and more people through a video course, this podcast, and the less doing more living book. Now I have the privilege of working with some of the world's top business minds, including Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, Dave Asprey, and Jordan Harbinger, who have all decided to join me for the first annual Less Doing Live Summit that I'm holding in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. To get more information on the Less Doing Live Summit, you can go to the URL lessdoinglive.com, or you can also find links to the event on our main site, lessdoing.com. Now enjoy today's podcast, and if you listen to the end of the show, I am going to give you more information on this event, as well as a way you can earn a free copy of my book, Less Doing, More Living. Hey, everybody. We're back with Less Doing Podcast, episode 127. And today I'm interviewing the founder of Persist, which is a new possible fancy hands killing uh, virtual assistant artist. And I have back with me, Kimmy Morton. Hi, Kimmy. Hi, Ari. Good to be back. <laughs> Thank you so much. So Kimmy is breaking in her chops on podcasting because she's going to be releasing a badass podcast soon. So why don't you tell everybody about that? Sure. I'm super excited. Um, my target launch is March and it's uh, called The Secret Sauce podcast. And uh, I'm going to be doing interviews with amazing people, just uh, kind of figuring out what um, uh, these high achievers, what their secret sauce is for making their life uh, more, whether it be more productive, healthier, more fun, or just all around more delicious. Oh, I didn't know there was a delicious aspect to it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So do you cook a lot? I do actually, but I have to say, I also have somebody cook for me <laughs> um, in true less doing uh, lifestyle. Um, yeah, so I, I love to cook, and um, that was a real block for me because I I love to cook and I can cook, and so hiring somebody felt like you know like I should just be doing this myself. But um, it's been wonderful. So I have a friend that cooks for me every other week and cooks for me and the family, and she does uh, customized meals. So I get it's really a fun fun thing because we get to brainstorm. Okay, what are we going to eat this week? <laughs> so um, and it just gives me more ideas. Sometimes she'll just do actually vegetable prep too, or just do some basics, and it's helped me out a lot. But um, when I when I do when I do have time and when I do create time for it, I love to cook. 
So, okay, that's cool. I, I didn't realize, you know, in, we, we had a recent discussion in the master, Mastermind about hiring a personal chef, and you never mentioned that aspect. So, not that she's a personal chef, but, but you know, essentially filling that role. Well, how did that how did that come about? Was that your idea or her idea? Or? Um, it was actually um, my idea. I reached out to, well, she, she is a personal chef, and uh, once I, you know, read your book, I thought, well, you know, why don't I just give it a try? I, I track my time, of course, and I noticed that I was spending a lot of time preparing meals. And sometimes it would it would take this thing that I normally enjoy doing and turn it into something that was a drag sometimes. So that was kind of like, oh, that was a clue to me. Maybe I could outsource this in some way. And I really liked it when I started talking with her about it, that I didn't have to fully commit. I mean, I always think about having a personal chef as like, you know, I'm like Oprah or something and I get like, uh, you know, personal chef cooking for me every single meal. But um, the way she does it is uh, she can do it, you know, every other week or every week if you want. And then it's just three meals and she uh, uh, prepares bulk of it. So it's enough to kind of maybe make like 30 meals. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, what kind of food? Oh, gosh. Uh, she'll, her specialty is actually taking comfort food and turning it into a healthy version of that. And so um, she leans towards paleo, um, gluten-free, and uh, using a lot of um, fresh veggies. She's really good. She shops mostly at Whole Foods. Um, she always gives me the receipt from Whole Foods, so shows me exactly um, what she's gotten so that I can recreate it if I want to. Um, yeah, so like uh, she's this week she's making me Mongolian beef. She's Ooh. done spinach quinoa patties. Uh, she's done like uh, sushi rolls for us. And I think, oh, do we have last week? Salmon patties. So really, I mean, uh, it's the possibilities are endless with her and it's always delicious. And she really, she puts a lot of love in her food too. And I thought she, you know, uh, you can just feel, feel the energy, I, I guess is the best way to say it. She's just a riot too. She's a really fun person. I've known her for a long time. That's great. That's a, yeah. that's a great arrangement. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. The oh well okay so sorry go on though it's the secret sauce podcast it, I mean it's, oh yeah I can't wait to to hear your first few episodes but I interrupted you so <laughs> yeah and in fact I I'm gonna be interviewing um my uh, my friend who cooks for me her name's Fortuna she's gonna be one of my first interviewees and um, I have a, a um, yeah I have a, a lineup I'm trying to get um, all my interviews done before I'm, I've been following the John Lee Dumas uh, pod course uh, podcast course podcast actually and um, he's just brilliant you know and and I've gotten a lot of really great great info from him and there, there's a there's a learning curve you know in the beginning as I'm trying to I've never done anything like this before um, but it's so interesting how when a project feels feels right when it's exciting when you when it's in your heart and you just know it's what you should be doing um, you just have energy you have energy to 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 research and to make mistakes and to figure it out and um, the learning curve doesn't doesn't feel so painful you know and I'm, I've been finding myself getting up at like you know super early 3:30 on days when I don't have to be up that early and I'm just uh, trying to uh, you know do as much research as I can and it's it's just really fun that's awesome. Awesome. So, all right. Well, I want to share with you a couple 
stories or well studies that are going on right now that I thought were particularly interesting. One of which was there was an article in the Daily Mail about how doctors keep young and their what their big, biggest secret is. And the biggest secret was that they would do anything to steer clear of other doctors. <laughs> so it was actually a really interesting article, I thought, and they were talking about how basically, it, it, I mean, it, it's like sort of a sensationalist head, headline, but it was basically that there are a lot of things you can do to avoid getting into the medical system because once you get in it, it's sort of a spiral, which which kind of makes sense. Like if you you know if you if you have a choice between doing surgery or maybe not doing surgery for something, and you do do the surgery, a lot of times, and I'm very much overgeneralizing here, but I'm okay with that. A lot of times that can lead to more surgeries, you know, or other mm-hmm. other things. Crohn's actually is a good example which was my ailment, of course. And with Crohn's patients, if you have surgery for a resection where they are removing a section of your intestines, 30, no, sorry, like 60% of those people end up having to have another surgery. So yeah. that doesn't seem like very good odds to me, if you ask me, obviously. So uh, one of the things that they were talking about was how you should do a lot of your own homework, a lot of your research, but you should not, but beware of Dr. Google, which is... Which is fair. Um, I actually fell. I, I, I fall into this trap every now and then myself. I recently thought that one of my sons had a skin infection called molluscum, which is not particularly bad. It's just very contagious, and there's really no treatment for it. And you basically just get like these sort of pustules that happen for several months or years, even. So I took him to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician actually agreed with me. So I went to a to a uh, a dermatologist, and I was like, "Yeah," and I was, and it's like, I, and I was describing basically like word for word what I had googled in Google Image, and she was like, "Yeah, that's not it at all." <laughs> uh-huh. So I was completely wrong, and wow. yeah, and that it's true. It's it, I find that with myself, and that's never been an issue, or, or never an issue. But with my kids, I, I do fall into that trap a little bit more, where I, I have a little bit less confidence in my decisions. You know, like to not go see the doctor about things. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it, it just it was just a nice article and worth reading completely, not just hearing my summary of it. And then the other article, actually, that I wanted to share is also from Daily Mail, but they were talking about this study showing that eating nuts may be as effective, if not more effective, than taking statins when it comes to to high cholesterol. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so this is really interesting because... And I was talking to my wife about this the other day because my wife is like a bit, we have tons of bags, um, jars of dried nuts in our house. And it's like a real staple in our diet. And we were saying how a lot of people like don't have nuts as like a sort of part of their diet. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like something that people I think generally like include in their diets. Yeah. Well, I think that we're still sort of uh, recovering from the fear of fat, you know, from the 80s and the 90s. And I think people equate nuts with being so high calorie, so high fat, and that they have to watch their portion control. And so I think that that could be part of the issue. Yeah, that's probably one. I think that another thing is that people, there's like everywhere you go now where there's kids, at least it's like a nut-free facility. Yeah, that's true too. Which which is (laughs) part of the problem, though. Honestly, I think. I mean, the peanut allergies didn't exist like you know thirty, twenty, or thirty years ago, and now they're rampant. And I think that a lot of that is because of this avoidance, because they've actually shown in some cases you can 
you can overcome a peanut allergy by exposing yourself to very, very, very small amounts of peanut and building up over time and sort of mm-hmm. building up that immune response. But uh, yeah, so I, I feel like also, and I may, I may just be like overgeneralizing here too, but the image of like somebody walking into a room and cracking open a walnut, you know, from a ball of walnuts, like I, I just feel like people just don't have nuts around the place. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, who knows? But so for us, like I love, I love cashews. I love almonds and I really like walnuts and I, I put them in smoothies. I just eat them all the time. I find them very filling. I think they're delicious. And what this was showing again was that like a handful of nuts basically can help lower cholesterol. A handful of nuts daily can help lower cholesterol better than a drug like Lipitor. Wow. That is awesome. I have a friend who, uh, she taught me about soaking almonds as a way to make them, you know, it's almost like sprouting them so that they become more digestible. And it's so amazing. They just like, um, plump up and you can even soak them in apple juice and other things and gives them a lot of flavor, but they're really easy to, to eat. And I don't know, just gives them a different texture as well. So sometimes I'll just have like soaked almonds laying around. That's that's cool. I haven't even thought of that. Yeah. And, and soaking them in apple juice too. That's really interesting. Yeah. Do they really take in like a lot of liquid? They take in a lot of liquid. Yeah. And, and um, it makes it really easy to make nut milk too. So have you ever made your own almond milk? I have not. Actually. Oh, it, it's really fun. And, and actually my kids get involved too. It's a, it's a fun uh, project and you have to get a, a nut bag, like a nut milk bag. You can get them off of Amazon or wherever. Yeah, not a a nut bag. (laughs) It is called a nut bag, I swear. (laughs) Um, And uh, and and, and so you just soak them. You soak them, you know, eight to 12 hours, or I just usually do it overnight. And then, um, yeah, you, you whip it up. I use my Vitamix. And then you put them in the bag and then you squeeze the milk out. It really feels like you're squeezing like a cow's udder almost. And um, it's so delicious. It's not like any almond milk that you get from a carton. And you can add, you know, a little bit of stevia or um, some people add dates or cinnamon, other flavors. You can do it with cashews too. You can really do it with any nut, frankly. (laughs) But um, it's so, so, so delicious. It's really good in coffee. Ah, that's cool. Because when you use most commercial almond milks, it's sort of like clots when you put it into coffee. Yeah, it does that weird thing where it separates. That's so, because of, um, that's probably because of the carrageenan and stuff that they put in to help preserve right, it a little bit. Right. Um, do you like macadamia nuts? Oh yeah, I love it. And you can make macadamia nut milk too. It's delicious. Okay, that See, that I've never even heard of. So I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to picture what that would taste like. But that's cool because macadamia nuts are wonderful. They're super fatty. They are. Really, really good for you. So I guess, uh, I guess nuts... Consumption is not a problem in Hawaii, then. Yeah, we eat a lot of macadamia nuts, especially in chocolate. Ah, yes. Yeah. So, okay, so now another thing I want to talk to you about specifically is that, because I just did the podcast episode for Dr. Andrew Hill from True Brain. So you are a fan of True Brain, aren't you? I am a fan of True Brain, yes. I've been using it now for, this is my second month, and... um, yeah, it's I've tried a lot of nootropics and this is by far my favorite. So, you you've tried a lot. Like what were like what were one or two others that you thought were good but maybe not great? Yeah, so I've tried Alpha Brain. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I've also tried, there's one um, from Onnit, which is, uh, it's sort of a combination of a few Onnit products. So it's, I think it's called 180. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So, you know, it's it's got a few of them all put together. New Mood, I think, and Alpha, Alpha Brain and Shroom Tech all combined. Um, so I've, I've tried some of those and um, I just haven't, I've also tried Siltep. Yeah. Um, and that one, I do like it, and I, I'll, uh, I like I've I've used it in a pinch of like when I ran out of my first month of True Brain, um, and so I I was really able to compare them, and I just feel like the effects of well, Alpha Brain I really didn't feel much effects or see much effects that were noticeable to me. Uh, Siltep I can it is good, but it's definitely not as noticeable for me as the True Brain. So that's interesting. So I actually really used to like Alpha Brain quite a bit. Um, I think Siltep is great, but the problem I had with Siltep was I actually was getting jaw tension when I was taking it, which oh. is which is something that can happen if you have a, a. And it went away after two days or so, but it was unpleasant. And it's something that can happen when you have. Uh, my understanding, at least, is when you have a like a surplus of acetylcholine, which is the the chemical. It's basically the neurotransmitter. It's trying to boost, but. I actually found a really great effect cognitively from Siltep, but I, it, it, the trade-off wasn't quite there for me. Interestingly enough, True Brain in pill form didn't really do it for me, but the liquid form is awesome. Huh? I, you know, I, I just ordered some, so I'm going to have to try that. I, I've only tried the pill form so far. Yeah, so the only thing I would say though is that the so the liquid form has caffeine and sugar in it, <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> which which may have some effect. It's I mean it's it's supposed I mean it doesn't seem like it's a lot of sugar. It has several natural sweeteners in it, like it has stevia and agave or blue agave in it and pomegranate. But it, it part of that is because oxyracetam and paracetam taste just. God awful. Have you ever had them in their in their like raw no. form? No, yeah, I have. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty bad. It's pretty unpleasant. And and I can handle like bad tasting stuff, but that it's it's up there. So they they obviously they had to use like six different natural sweeteners in this thing to get it to be palatable, I guess. But it really works. I really like it. I'm on cool. it right now, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm on pill form right now. I do find too um, when I have it with coffee. It helps me to not, you know, I just feel like it It works really well with the caffeine of the coffee. So it's very, um, I don't get jittery or anything like that. And I think that's because from the uh, uh, L-theanine that's in the true brain, it sort of helps to combat the caffeine, kind of offsets it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all we've got for this show. So we're going to get on with the interview. And Kimmy, thank you so much again for co-hosting with me. Oh, thank you. And everybody will be looking forward to the Secret Sauce podcast, which the, there'll be a link in the show notes, and you should get over there and sign up to be notified when it launches. Awesome. <laughs> and now for feature interview. So now I'm speaking with Evan Britton Bozone, who is the founder of Persist, which is a personal assistance service. And that's Persist, P-E-R-S-S-I-S-T, right? Right. <laughs> so right. Evan, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. 
Sure, absolutely. So, first of all, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of virtual assistant services out there. There's and and Persist is what's usually known as an on-demand virtual assistant service, right? Right. So, right. why don't you just tell people like what that is and what that difference is with you know with you guys? Right. So the difference is that at any moment of any day, you have someone there to support you. Uh, so. Um, 24-7, seven days a week, uh, we have people available to pick up your requests. And um, and the benefit of that is obviously the full coverage, but also that you have different people with different skill sets that your requests can be routed to. So whether your request is travel-related or research-related or making a phone call, there's someone there that is more suited to that type of request versus a dedicated assistant, which might be specialized in certain areas. Yeah, so it's it's cool because uh, when, when I talk to people about the difference between dedicated and non-dedicated, the, the most obvious one that comes up is that, you know, you have a lot more access uh, in terms of time. But and I've had people say, oh, well, you know, I don't I don't really need somebody working at two in the morning or something. And and, and there's that other point, which is that, you know, a, a single virtual assistant can or a single assistant period can be really good at your business. They can learn your business really well, but there's still always going to be a limit to the skill set that they have. So when you have access to a pool of people, it's really kind of amazing uh, how much more efficiently someone can get something done when they, they know how to do it. Right, exactly. And then some, you know, some requests are, uh, are more time sensitive than others. Cause I know a, a dedicated assistant, they have other clients. Right. They're not necessarily going to be able to get to you right away. And, uh, and I know one of the drawbacks of, of having an on-demand service is you're always working with someone different each time. And so one of the ways that we're addressing that is that we've developed some personalization technology to learn about our clients over time so that we can remember things that are recurring, like your cleaner or your doctor, et cetera, so that you don't have to keep telling us these things and we learn it just like a dedicated assistant would. Okay, so that's very interesting to me because, so and again, one of, the, one of the reasons I really like the on-demand assistance actually is I, I think that it's a, a learning experience for most people in terms of how to effectively communicate when you're not dealing with someone who's dedicated. But exactly. if you're adding in that, that learning element, that's really interesting. So are people, like when there's a request, does an assistant sort of like add to a, a sort of dossier or... Yeah, exactly. So, so the way it works is if, if information in, is involved in a request that we see as potentially valuable in the future, we'll add it to this dossier. And obviously, over time, that dossier gets extremely large. So we have uh, some AI and, and proprietary technology to help us uh, pick and choose the information that's relevant for each request that comes in. Uh, now, where are the majority of your assistants located? So right now, uh, we care a lot less about where they're located. So they're pretty much all over the world. Um, oh, wow. we, we don't have, I know a lot are focused in the Philippines and India, but we actually have very few there. Um, we just, uh, so our, our criteria for choosing assistance, we have a very comprehensive recruiting uh, process. And then on top of that, a, a training process. So, um, so we want to make sure that we have the best people and we've just, to be fair, haven't found the best people in a lot of those common areas. They haven't been able to get through our, our, really complicated uh, recruiting process. So we've been looking elsewhere. No, and, and that's, I mean, I, I think that's perfectly reasonable for you to say that. And I've talked about this before uh, in blogs and on the podcast that there is a, in, in the last several years of all the outsourcing I've done, there, there seems to be this weird like geographic shift that happens. And, and I don't ever know why that is, but you know, five years ago, if you wanted a virtual assistant, India and, and maybe the Philippines was the place to go, but now it really isn't the place to go for virtual assistant work. It's, it's great for other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, just like right now, I think uh, Eastern Europeans are the, the best providers for uh, uh, coding work and, and, and like sort of website stuff. It, 
you know, it's just it's just weird. These things kind of move around. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's something we've noticed also. Yeah. Uh, so now. I don't want to, you know, I'm not asking you to like reveal any proprietary stuff, but I am really curious about your complicated recruiting process because I always set up really weird tests when I'm trying out virtual assistant companies of, of the 25 that I've tried. So, yeah, uh, sure. So basically, uh, our process is that we have a three uh, round recruiting process. Uh, we bring people in and, and we see it kind of as a as a increasingly fine filter uh, to get get through people. So the first process is a, uh, it's kind of a test to test general knowledge, see how they, they react to common types of requests, see what types of answers they would give. And then uh, we actually wipe out about 90, 90% of applicants from that first round. The second round is a little bit more intensive. It's a, a few hours long. Uh, and we give them the types of requests that we see on a regular basis. And we, literally go through every single one of their answers and grade them. And if they pass our, our, our uh, level of, of standards on that, they move on to the next round, which is a Skype interview. Uh, and, and during the Skype interview, we make sure that they speak as well as they read and write, which we were testing in the first two rounds and that uh, they can present themselves well, that they are friendly, that they're personable um, and all those sorts of things. So in the end uh, between if if a hundred people start the process, only about three actually wind up getting hired. Okay, wow. Uh, and and uh, how many assistants do you have at this point? Uh, we have double digit assistants. I'd rather uh, not no, sure, at the moment. That's no problem. Um, okay. And can you guys do purchasing? Uh, not yet, but we're working on it. Uh, so one one of the issues with purchasing is um, is there's a you can either have the client's credit card, which is not secure um, because we have, you know, multiple different assistants working on something or the alternative is there are these kind of um, masked cards, which you give the assistant uh, the masked number uh, and they use that to buy something and it can only be used that one time. However, the problem with that is that there's a 3% fee on top of that because there's a double charge of the credit card um, because then you have to charge the client for that also. And so we're, uh, we're trying to play around with that and figure out what the best option is. Yeah, that always seems to be one of the more complicated things to figure out. Yeah, but it is top of our mind. It's something that we're working on. Okay, so then the other thing that you guys seem to do a little differently, which I really like, is that rather than you're not charging by the task, you know, you're you're charging by hours. Yeah, exactly. So so I mean, those are pretty much the only two ways you can charge for personal assistant work, and we thought that task per task was a bit too limited. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a really nice concept because it's it's very obvious. It's like, oh, I'm going to submit something and it's going to cost me a task. But, you know, it, re- in reality, you have to limit that task time to max 15 or 20 minutes like some of our competitors do. So if you have a fair bit of research, if you want help planning a vacation, if you want help calling customer service and they're going to have to be on hold for an hour, that kind of stuff is not necessarily the type of stuff that a per task service is able to do. Um, and so that's something that we can do. And, um, and so that's why we chose to go that route. Yeah, no, And I think that makes a lot of sense because I mean, it, the example you gave is, is probably the more likely, but the other one is that if something really does just take two minutes, uh, you know, why should that take an entire task per se? Right. You right. Know, and so, that's, and I think that's what some of our, our competitors are kind of betting on. I, I, I see some of them, uh, actually, driving their business in a way that is going for more of those kind of five minute tasks when and they still charge for the the full task. Right. Um, and, and consequently there's also times when I've seen 
responses from different virtual assistant companies saying that you know this task is going to take too long to count for one task or something, and it's you know it, it really doesn't. So it, it's sort of a, a a weird thing that you see a lot. But as far as on-demand services. Yours is the only one I've seen that does it by the hours, which I think is great. And the other thing about that, too, is that it I, I think, at least for me and the people that I work with a lot of times, it, it, it's a easier way to visualize it or sort of uh, rationalize it in their heads. You know, it's like, okay, I have five hours per month, so I'm going to, you know, break it out this way, whereas tasks are sort of like this nebulous thing. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, another trade-off of, of tasks, uh, actually, on top of on top of that is is you have to think about how your assistant is incentivized, right? So if they're getting a fixed cost or a fixed fee to complete your task, they basically want to do it as quickly as possible. And so that's not necessarily good for quality. And the trade-off on paying for time is uh, if you get a, a not a great assistant, he's going to try to drag the amount of time out. And so the way that we deal with that is that we actually have a 20-minute check-in time for every request, or you can change that check-in depending on the request that you submit. And that basically forces the assistant to get something to you within that check-in time so you can see his progress and see if he's working at a rate that you're happy with. Oh, wow. That's really, that's really, really cool. Um, and, and then the, another one, too, which this is like a really specific thing, but a lot of on-demand services, because they're counting on different people in different places, you can't ask for something done at a specific time. Mm-hmm. Do you do you offer yeah, that? Absolutely. I mean, so so as with any service, there's there's going to be times when you have a, a lot of requests coming in, and uh, you're going to have to prioritize and and make sure things get done in the right order. Uh, but you can submit tasks and have them scheduled for a certain period in the future. Uh, the further out, the easier it is, obviously. But uh, we do rush tasks also. Yeah. Okay. So that I mean that's really really great. So. One of the things that I pride myself on with the on-demand services is that I'm, I'm able to get very, very complex tasks done that most people would think only rec- could be done by a dedicated assistant uh, because I write out my processes really well. Mm, you know, so yeah. is that the kind of thing that you're able to work on with your assistants? You know, in terms of helping the client be more, uh, you know, efficient in the way that they assign tasks. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, it, it really is people. Not everyone is a good manager of other people, um, and that's a, that's a really interesting point because when you're using a virtual assistant, that's what you're doing. Uh, you're managing someone else, and if you don't give clear instructions, you're not necessarily going to get the the work that you're expecting. Uh, and so, basically, part of our training process is for assistants to make sure that they're not working on something that they're not fully understanding, and to make sure that they ask questions to uh, to to make sure that they don't work on something and waste waste the client's time. And on top of that, we also have uh, on on our back end we have a multi tier um, assistant setup so that we actually have. Uh, administrators that help out the assistants to, to do tasks. So if, if something especially complicated comes in, they don't bother the assistant, uh, they don't bother the client right away with their questions. They'll ask the administrator. And if the administrator figures it out, that saves the client's time. Yeah. And, that, and that's a really, really smart way to do it. Now, so you're New York based, right? That's right. Do you, um, how, how, what's the, what's the company look like right now? Is are there, is there anybody in New York full time with you or are you just <laughs> operating solo right now? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I, I founded Persist with my partner, uh, Albert. We were classmates at uh, Harvard Business School, which we graduated from a few years ago. Uh, and then, uh, so we're in the process of, of recruiting additional members of our full time team. Okay. Cool. Um, and then, 
what got you sort of interested in this in the first place? I mean, it was just an idea you came up with while you were at HBS or. So, um, it, it was basically me hearing enough people say, uh, I wish someone would just take care of this for me. Uh, and they're not really being an option for that. So, you know, calling customer service is a pain that everyone shares or other random research tasks and, and doing personal things that come up in your, in your life that just take up your time. You don't want to deal with them. And, for some reason, there's just no easy way to get someone else to take care of these things for you. And they come up all the time. And so it's just some uh, a pain point that I noticed over and over again and, and thought that a solution should be developed. Well, I, and I mean, obviously, you're into optimization in general, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, <laughs> everything is about optimization. When you, when you have, um, when, you're, when you're charging by the hour, uh, you you need to make sure that everything is extremely efficient because some people are very much, uh, they have different expectations of how much can get done in a certain amount of time. And, and we want to make sure that we meet those expectations. So what are some of your, one of the, the questions I always like to sort of wrap up with here is what are your top three tips for being more effective? And that, this can really, you can interpret that how you like, and it can really come from anything you've learned before, but what are your top three tips for being more effective? Uh, all right. So, I mean, w- one way that I uh, kind of get more done is whenever I have something come up on my to-do list, I, I think about it and, I'm, and I say to myself, is this something that I could ha- ask someone else to take care of for me? And if it is, then I have someone else to take care of it for me. Uh, so that's that's the big one that, for me. That, sorry, but that, that's, all, you know, that's a hard mindset for a lot of people to get into. And I, I, yeah, and I, I try that is, with and people. That's, that's, Exactly. I mean, that's something we're seeing with a lot of our newer users that are not used to using a, a virtual assistant. You can very clearly see the difference between someone who's used a virtual assistant before and someone who hasn't. Um, but I think that question to ask yourself, is this something that someone else can take care of for me, is something that in a single sentence helps people think about what they can use a virtual assistant for and what they can't. Um, and then on top of that, I think the next tip would be making sure that if you read your own request with zero context, is that something that you would understand uh, to do, right? So it, it's all part of managing other people, right? If you're giving clear instructions, you're going to get clearer answers back. Um, and then the third tip, um, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, virtual assistant-wise, I don't... Oh, no, no, in general, just, you know, it, whatever you do. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, I mean one of my ways of, of just getting a ton done is, is using a, I kind of go old, old school and I use a pen and pen and paper to make sure that I'm keeping on top of my uh, most important tasks. Right. I, I use, uh, I use workflowy to keep track of kind of my giant to-do list, but the things that I need to focus on every day is on a pad and paper right in front of me. So I can cross them off. You feel a bit of <laughs> a little bit of accomplishment every time you cross something off and keeps you motivated to keep moving. No, and I think those are really good. And actually, that, that just spurred me to ask a couple more questions. So, um, without obviously giving any personal details or anything, what are can you give me like an example of one or two requests that clients put in that you thought were particularly like cool or interesting that you were able to get done with a virtual assistant? Yeah, I mean, so the, just the other day, someone uh, submitted something they wanted to make. Uh, they wanted to make cheese uh, for like, date <laughs> night. Right. Okay. And to make cheese, you need raw milk. And where are you going to find raw milk? You're going to have to call a lot of people and ask them for it. And that's a really long process that no one wants to do. And that's something that we can take care of for you. Um, so that's an example. Um, another example is, you know, just making appointments or keeping on top of your schedule. 
um, all those sorts of things. Oh, and so just uh, from a logistics question, so like, so do you guys connect with a Google Calendar or like you know what resources can you connect with to the person uses? Yeah, so we're currently uh, building out our integrations with Google Calendar and Dropbox, and okay. then in the future we're also going to integrate with some productivity tools like Asana, um, and then we'll uh, kind of move forward from there as we see what what's most in demand from our users. Okay, cool. Well, Evan, so w- thank you so much. W- where can people find out more about Persist? Yeah, they can go to persist.com. That's P-E-R-S-S-I-S-T. Um, really look forward to working with anyone. All right, well, thank you so much. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Ari. Hey, it's Ari again. Thanks for listening to today's show. As I promised at the beginning of the show, I am going to tell you more about the Less Doing Live event in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. Then I will tell you how you can earn a free copy of the Less Doing More Living book. Less Doing Live is an event I am putting on with Business Research Group in New York City. We have designed this event to give you and a small group of Less Doing fanatics a personal, quality experience. We are limiting this event to 150 participants in Manhattan to make sure that I get a chance to meet and hang out with every one of you. Now here's why this event is different. You see, most business conferences are just a series of speeches on a stage where smart speakers get up and give you tons of great information. In fact, it's usually so much that you don't know what to do with it all. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make you take action. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make sure you do take action. Because the only way to make big changes in your life is to invest in yourself. And that's not only an investment of your money, because you can always earn more of that, but rather an investment of your time, which is something so precious, because you can never get it back. So at this event, we're not just going to talk. On the first morning, Dave Asprey and I are going to share with you the latest cutting-edge tips on how to hack your productivity and biohack your body. But then that afternoon, it's going to get really exciting when we break down into small groups and get you into workshops to solve your biggest problems in productivity. What are the workshops going to be? They'll be designed to help you tackle the fundamental problems that stop 99% of the world from realizing their full potential. Getting your email down to inbox zero and mastering your communications with the world? Or a scheduling class where you can learn how to automate your schedule to the point where you will have a calendar working for you? Or an outsourcing class where you can learn how to get rid of 95% of the things that you shouldn't be doing on a daily basis? We're also going to have a biohacking class that's going to include nutrition and help you master your body and your life. Which one of these classes should you attend? Well, that's where my Less Doing Certified Coaches come in. Before we even let you get to the event, you have to speak to one of our coaches so that we can talk to you and see if the event is right for you. That way we can make sure that we truly help you. So to get to the event, you just need to enter your email and then register to speak to one of our Less Doing Certified Coaches in a free 45-minute coaching call where you will learn the one area of your life that you need the most help with and will get the most impact out of. Now, as a special gift to you for joining this free coaching call, I want to recognize your commitment to your productivity by giving you a free copy of the book, Less Doing, More Living. Thanks for listening.